welcome to the Onyx Podcast, where my cat is currently trying to go through the blinds somehow and making <laughs> strange noises. Uh, I'm Dixie Cochran, one of your hosts, joined by Matthew Dawkins. Hello, I'm not trying to go through the blinds right now. And Eddie Webb. Hello, I am definitely trying to go through the blinds right now. Like, right as I hit the button, she started being like, bam, bam. Wednesday, stop it. No, no, I gotta do the thing. I gotta do the thing. She already kicked her sister off the shelf, and now she's trying to ruin our blinds. Um, hi, welcome. <laughs> Sorry, I got very distracted right away because my cat is being. No, no the whole episode should be just live streaming and describing what your cat's doing for the next hour. That's just. The, the other one's just eating kibble, so she's not being very interesting right now. I'm trying to remember whether it's a joke or a ghost story where the focus is the <laughs> blind man. Um. Joke or ghost story? That's an amazing game show. Oh, like the man who puts up blinds, but it's like a ah, that, that's a it. And a, yeah, the nun thinks he's actually a blind man, and so takes a bath in front of him, and, right. yeah, and hilarity ensues. Hilarity ensues. Right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, that's what we're talking about today. Not. I mean, <laughs> we can talk about my cats all we want. I I think they're great. Uh, we'll have to leave Matthew out because he has no pets. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, I do have he a child. He does have a small child. <laughs> that's, that's essentially a pet, right? It's basically the same thing. Yeah, that, I mean, they achieve a similar function at this point uh, <laughs> and, and have similar demands uh, placed on their parents slash owners. Um, but yeah, yeah, my son has mm-hmm. never tried to climb through the blinds uh, or but that may be because we don't have any. <laughs> that's probably why you are correct. So you should buy some. And see what happens. Yeah. See how much he has in common with the average house cat. <laughs> what about Darby, Eddie? Does Darby ever try to climb through the blinds? No, Darby is too busy being upside down on a regular basis. Darby is often upside down. She loves belly pets and rubs. And also, um, I actually have learned some of the reason why she's often upside down is it turns out um, she has pretty bad skin allergies. Oh, um, and this this summer's actually been really bad. So like her itch is getting like out of control. So we actually have medication to keep track of it. But for a while, when it wasn't as bad, she would go out in the grass and roll over and then start wiggling her back back and forth. And mm. mm-hmm. it's hysterical because um, she's on her back and she's trying to rotate, but she can't obviously get up to rotate. So her back legs are just kicking in sequence. One, then the other is kicking as hard as it can to try to rotate her body around on the grass. And it just looks like she is just kickboxing with invisible creatures. It's, it's shadow boxing. Nice. Hilarious. Tutorial um, mode in a fighting game. Yes. Right. <laughs> it's just made up of a grid for no reason. Yeah. That's amazing. One of my cats is very floppy. She likes to flop over on her side all the time. And she'll do that thing where she, like, walks right in front of you so you can't walk any faster. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she just, like, gets to a point in the middle of the room. And she's like, it's flop time. Please pet me now. <laughs> right. And you I'm happen like, to okay. be here. I know you're here because I blocked you. So you had to be here. Right, right, right. But, like, she always wants to get to, like, a big open area. And then she's like, flop. I'm like, Does she also get annoyed when you then are able to walk around her? Yes. Yeah. No, uh, <laughs> Lydia looks betrayed if I pet her for a few seconds and then step over her. Right. She's like, how did you do that? <laughs> like, how did you get past me? I'm blocking the whole walkway. And I'm like, you are three inches off the ground right now because you're on your side. Like, I don't, you are not an obstacle. 
cat. Is uh, Lydia named after Winona Ryder's character in yes. Beetlejuice, isn't it? Yes, they yeah. are They are Wednesday and Lydia because they yeah. are my, my childhood goth girls. That was a good guess. Uh, I mean, well, I say it was a good guess. Knowing you, it, it, <laughs> there, there aren't many Lydias. I think there's a Lydia and Mrs. Doubtfire, but uh, that probably, probably isn't. Probably not, yeah. I don't think anyone named a cat after that, that character. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just, uh, I, I mean, also, I, I feel like since you are my friend on like Facebook and Instagram, you also know that I have dressed as Beetlejuice for multiple Halloweens. Yes. I so, have probably seen that. That yeah. is true. It is, it is one of the things that's fun about having green hair, is that you can just put on a bunch of stripes and be like, Beetlejuice! Although I do actually do the makeup, but you know. And you know what's interesting? Because like, I've, I've seen a lot of your costumes, and you dress up in, in a wide variety of costumes I've had. Yeah. And it seems like most of our more removed fan group only seem to remember the fact that, oh, hey, you like Sailor Moon. You did that once. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually never cosplayed Sailor Moon. Or, or, or a character from that anime. I've never cosplayed a character from Sailor Moon. I thought you did. I have never done. Like, technically once when I was 11 for Halloween, but there aren't pictures of that on the internet. Mandela <laughs> effect for Dixie. So, we right, all so remember. remember. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan of Sailor Moon. But I, I have heard people mention that, and I think that retroactively go, oh, I must have missed that, so maybe I'm guessing that it happens. But yeah, I mean, I know you've cosplayed a lot of other stuff, and you have wider interests. It's interesting like, how sometimes a person's interest catches hold in a, a, a friend group, and it's like, I, it's cool. I, 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 mean, I am a fan of that, and I appreciate that, but also there are other things I like. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. The character I've cosplayed the most is probably a tie between Gage from Borderlands 2. Mm-hmm. Um, who I've done several times. It's, it's it's the same costume, but I've just done her over and over again. Right. Um, or the Riddler, who I've done three different versions of. I do like your Riddler costume. Thanks. It all started because one of my friends says Harley Quinn and does like a million different Harley Quinn costumes. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, I'll just join you as a different villain. And then my friend Laura joined as the Penguin, and it was a whole thing. And if I remember, yours is based pretty heavily off the animated series version, right? Uh, Kind of, yeah. Like... Mostly it's just based off anything I could do that was green and purple. Well, fair. <laughs> because, um... But more of the suit wearing. Yes, yeah. For, uh... We, we did a Lolita fashion version. And that one's oh. definitely animated character one. Because it's mm-hmm. like a big suit jacket mm. thing going on. Uh, and then we, we, we did a burlesque one. Ooh, where nice. I am wearing the, like, bowler hat and everything. Because, you right. know, why not? So, yeah, no, I've, I've, I've done quite a few cosplays. Uh, mostly me and my best friend, Laura, like to do things where we play off our height difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, because she is damn near six feet tall and I'm 5'1". Um, so we've done, like, Pinky and the Brain. Where she's okay. like, the brain. <laughs> uh, and we did Daria and Jane from Daria. Uh, mm-hmm. Because they have a pretty severe height difference. Mm. Um, and... The one we did that we've never done again, and I kind of wish we would, is we did Doozers from Fraggle Rock. Oh, wow. Uh, and that was just fun and silly. And it was really interesting because we, we were in the Dragon Con like three or four years ago. And uh, the only people that got it were definitely people our age or older. Mm-hmm. Like you could tell it was such a reference point for people who were like 32 plus. Yep. And anybody younger did not know what the hell we were doing. But everybody over, like I said, like, like 30, 35 was like, Doozers! So... It was silly. My cosplay has always been rather limited. Uh, I I dressed up as Rorschach before and before the movie. Wasn't that the one where you like burst through your eardrum taking the mask off? Yeah, Uh, (laughs) and ever since then I've uh, refrained from uh, (laughs) cosplaying. Uh, No, uh, I'm trying to think. What else have I 
dressed up as? Who else have I dressed up as? I think typically it has been uh, comic book villains. Mm-hmm. And I think I went through a, a big Watchmen phase mm-hmm. when I first grew acquainted with the comic book. And so I did a comedian costume. That was good fun. Mm-hmm. And I went for the uh, I don't know what it is about me and masks. I went for the Crime Busters comedian rather than the Minutemen comedian. So oh, I okay. had the entire uh, leather hood with the zip up. <laughs> that was Maybe fun you just don't want to do makeup or anything. Yeah, I think that might be it. Well, I think I find masks a lot easier, but also um, it's on the subject of Beetlejuice. Well, I don't think you could ever really cosplay him unless every, unless you were going as a big Beetlejuice set. When I was mm-hmm. a child, and I loved, and I, I, I absolutely loved Beetlejuice when I was a child. I had all the right. action figures. Uh, I thought Otho was so cool. <laughs> I don't know why the interior designer wow. in Beetlejuice. I just thought, wow, this this guy is so cool and so confident, and he always wears black, <laughs> and his hair's all you know, just pretty much a solid mass on top of his head. And I remember when I was tiny, uh, I guess well, five or six when it came out. I always felt very sad when his black clothes got turned into pastel blue <laughs> and he <laughs> ran away screaming um so maybe that's what i need to do i need to uh, do an otho costume i'm probably there the right go. proportions for it now uh <laughs> and at some point do it stripper style where i can just rip the black off and i've got a pastel blue outfit underneath <laughs> <laughs> nice or color change yeah yeah get it wet and it just turns blue yes that's a good idea then i'd have a wet suit on though Exactly. <laughs> and I, I know, Eddie, you haven't done a whole lot of cosplay, but you're working on Doctor Strange right now, right? Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I've got a Doctor Strange costume that's more or less done. I've got to um, work with my wife to get the, the cape or the cloak fixed right, because I don't want to just have it permanently attached. So we're looking at, like, magnets, something that kind of, like, easily mm-hmm. pull off, doesn't leave a mark on them. Um, but when I was a kid, I did actually dress up for Halloween a fair bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think most of us probably did, at least in America. And, like, for me, it was... So now my costume limitations are due to how do I work around my, my hearing aid because I can't do like helmets, for example. Right. Um, I can't, mm. I, and masks are a little tricky depending on how I do it. Um, but when I was a kid, it was because there weren't many characters that had big curly hair. And I think it's one of the reasons why I ended up liking uh, Tom Baker's Doctor Who is because it was a right. person like, oh, I could, I could put a hat on and scarf and be that character. And so I, I know I played him at least once. Uh, when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I, I, but also a lot of that I submitted into LARP. So it's like I would wear costumes that weren't of a specific pop culture character, but rather were trying to look a certain mood or feel. Um, well, yeah, they were, they were your character's costume. Right, exactly. Um, and so, like, I would spend a lot of time obsessing about very small props uh, that, in retrospect, probably nobody noticed, but I cared about, damn it. So. <laughs> um, yeah, I understand that. Like I played a, um, <laughs> I played a, a, a venture once, a, a, a Swedish venture who had lived in America for hundred like hundreds of years, so I no longer had the accent. But I did some research, and you know, around around the time of the empire, uh, and um, someone got me a a gift of of, of a Swiss coin, and like 
in character, I just threw the coin back at her. He's like, you idiot. It's completely the wrong country. How dare you insult me? And then afterwards, I had to explain out of character. I was like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be angry about it. My character would just be really offended. But like, she got the wrong coin. Well, it sounded to me, Eddie, like your character was quite edgy. And given that the Requiem <laughs> epithet for the venture of the lords, from memory, you were a Swedish edge lord. Uh, no. I'm so no. mad right now. It's not true. It's true <laughs> Sorry, you were a Swedish coined patrician, if it was Dark Ages, or Sw- <laughs> Swedish money, Scandinavian moneyed blue blood. To, to, be, to, to be fair, I was a, I was a requiem venture, so... Uh, ah, well, there you go. You were a Swedish lord of right. some variety. Oh, right. my gosh. Hmm. I had something I was going to say, but I totally forgot. Oh, yeah. No, this is actually a, a, a salient point re-RPGs, and then we'll get into our topic eventually, maybe. Um, but... We talk a lot about like why being inclusive matters and why rep- representation matters, mm-hmm. and like literally what Eddie just said that he didn't see people with curly hair above all things. Yeah, like what a what a universal thing that lots of people have, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. And yet you didn't see it on TV. And like I remember the first time I saw, I mean, granted there was Snow White, but she was very different. The first time I saw a brunette princess was Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Huh. And I thought and and that was a huge deal for me. Like she liked to read books. Girls mm-hmm. didn't read books on television. Um and it, it and then like that's such a we are still, you know, cis white folks feeling like we weren't represented. Right. So can you imagine how it feels to be any sort of marginalized, you know, POC or marginalized gender like now they like now people are growing up with things like She-Ra and stuff which is very you know right. super inclusive mm. um, people have Black Panther to look up to people have like all these things that, that they didn't have before Shang-Chi East, yeah I was gonna say yeah East East Asian kids now have their mm. superhero like that's that's great but also it is 2021 and we are just getting some of this stuff mm-hmm. and so that is why I know that in our art and stuff a lot of times we feel like it's important to represent everybody um, because uh, I you, blame you, you should see yourself in media. Yeah, I blame Mattel. And uh, just in case you're listening, uh, we on. would love a sponsorship, <laughs> uh, especially in the form of D and D. I mean, they're a fairly big deal. But uh, I blame the <laughs> ubiquitousness, ubiquity of Barbie, and I guess Ken to a lesser degree. That fucker. Um, <laughs> that fucking guy. Yeah, uh, with his uh, with his perfect proportions uh, in some places and not others. And, <laughs> um, but uh, and in the UK, I don't know if you had uh, over in the US. You probably did. Cindy, did you have yes. Cindy? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was Barbie, Cin- Barbie and Ken, Cindy and Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul was a little narrower in the face than Ken, who uh-huh. who had been injecting steroids into his cheeks. It's a rumor, not confirmed. Uh, don't take me to court, Ken. <laughs> and uh, I think that kind of really reinforced among youth that you had to be tall, skinny, and blonde to be uh, to be attractive. Uh, to the point, I remember what was it Malibu? It wasn't Malibu Barbie, was it? In although that was an Adams family thing. There was Malibu um, Barbie though. Yeah, what was I uh, in the Simpsons? What was it? The girl, the the girl's toy. It was a doll. Was that it would... Stacy? 
yeah, Malibu Stacy maybe that would say things to you that were just demeaning to your self worth in a very Pentex kind of a way. Right. Just let's go shopping for handbags, <laughs> and I know nothing. I'm just a girl. Right. Math is hard. Math is hard. Yeah. It it wasn't that far from the truth in the way these toys were being presented. To uh, I mean, I, I loved Masters of the Universe when I was small, and I can't criticize the morals at the end of the, the every single asinine story in in that show. But it was peak uh, sort of male fantasy I mean, in yeah. ter- in terms of you know in body type and the ridiculous armor. But or like lack also, thereof. Shiro was also peak male fantasy. Yeah, she was a right. hardcore chick with a sword. So as a child, mm. I was like, "She's a strong woman." But when I look back on it, every single princess in the '80s Shiro looked like a Barbie. Yeah, like yeah. every single freaking character except for like Madame Raz looked like a Barbie. And I'm like, oh, I'm glad that now they're like diverse in terms of both body type and skin tone. Yeah, yeah, I don't I don't, you know, look back on it with any regret that I like these things. I think they were very entertaining for a child and I, I personally enjoyed the Kevin Smith reboot. Uh, I'm only on episode on 3 and we just started watching it. But yeah. Oh, well I won't ruin it or anything, but uh, I I was I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a very clever approach to the Masters of the Universe franchise. I which... do have trouble not just hearing Buffy whenever Tila talks. Yes. Yeah. Because I'm like I have seen all of Buffy so many times that I'm just like that's Buffy. And like yeah. some lines you don't hear it and then some lines are very quippy and you're like that sounds like Buffy. <laughs> but, uh, see I really like that because it seems like ages since I last heard or saw Sarah Michelle Gellar in anything. But Oh no, uh, I, I I love her getting work totally. Uh yeah. so I think you would be hard pressed to find anyone that dislikes Mark Hamill. And uh, I yet. love him. Uh, and no, 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 no. I, I love Mark Hamill. And uh, I would go so far as to say my favorite role of his is as the Joker. Agreed. And yeah, totally. I would that's, say that's Joker. at the same time, for me, Skeletor is the weakest part of the new Masters of the Universe series because it. Kind of sounds uh, like Joker. It sounds exactly like Joker. It does sound just like the Joker. I I looked at my boyfriend last night and said that, <laughs> like 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 isn't Mark Hamill just doing the Joker here? Yeah, and I I can see the similarities in terms of character. Yeah, yeah they're high pitched cackling characters. You know? Yeah, um, I am not nice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> side note: Rose does an amazing Skeletor impression. Next time Rose is being interviewed, she does. It's amazing. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, it, it makes me sad that I was listening to Mark Hamill and thinking, oh, I wish this wasn't Mark Hamill. And yeah. so I'll make it up to him somehow. I'm sorry, Mark, you know, if you want to <laughs> if you want to cancel your Patreon with me, that's okay. I actually I say- do know his son. Should I tell his son that you said this? Yeah, yeah go yes. on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Nathan, Matthew said shit about your dad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Nathan would give a shit. <laughs> also, you are talking about the man who literally tweeted his own name and yep. broke mm. broke Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but yeah, I, I, I like the voices on that. I actually thought Kevin Conroy was very strong in that. Speaking of Batman voice actors, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. 
And I also like, uh, is it Liam Cunningham? Yeah, he's Man at Arms. I I know he's Duncan because Man at Arms is now a title and not a name. That is is true. That is true. But uh, 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 one thing I I love about watching modern animation occasionally is you start going, wait a minute, that voice sounds really familiar. And I had that moment on eight, and he man was like, that can't be Henry Rollins. Oh, no, it definitely is. And he's Cyclops. (laughs) It's like, holy shit, that's Henry Rollins. (laughs) Triclops. I, I love these renaissances that Henry Rollins, Mark Hamill, uh, you know, mm-hmm. performers of the 80s, well, early 90s, 80s and prior have been getting in the last five to ten years. You know, mm-hmm. there was a wilderness period, it seems, for a lot of actors and singers, yeah. and they're, they're coming back in interesting ways now. And I won't, um, again, not ruining anything, but there's a there was a an action figure for Masters of the Universe in the late 80s called Scareglow. And uh, Scareglow was a skeleton. Uh, I don't think Scareglow appeared in any of the filmation because it was like the last run of action figures. And every single one of these action figures had a little blurb on the back of their packet to explain who they were or on a card or a little comic book that came with them. Right. And in Scareglow's one, due to a typo, this is my understanding of it, um, He-Man enthusiasts, by all means, write in and contradict me. Uh, (laughs) It was written that Scareglow, who is a glow-in-the-dark skeleton, um, Scareglow is the shadow of Skeletor. And... And, and and can fill the fill the air with uh, green gas and all this blah blah that induces nightmares. Now, what it was supposed to say was Scareglow works in the shadow of Skeletor. Oh. But Kevin Smith, being a massive nerd, has made Scareglow in the new series. The actual sort of shadow, the dark side, the negative reflection, if you like, or soul of Skeletor to tie into the text that was on the back of a misspelt right. uh, action figure pack, which I think is wonderful to geeks like me. No, it's always uh, somewhere um, on uh, the new Transformers uh, Cyberverse. Um, there's a character named uh, Acid Storm, uh, who's one of the not first, one of the earliest uh, female Decepticons, because there just haven't been many until recently. And she's a green... Girls can't be robots. Girls can't be evil robots. Um, <laughs> but well, uh, she was, she's a green plane kind of in the mold of Starscream. Mm. And it is an goes all the way back to the very first episode of the cartoon, because when they were on Cybertron, they didn't want to redraw all of these characters, you know, because they were going to get rid of these forms within like... Thir- halfway through this first episode. Um, and so early on, uh, three clones of, of, of Starscream were shooting at two Autobots and they're just, they're colored like green, yellow and, and purple or whatever. They're yeah. just not characters we see again. Right. And so fans had made names for them like decades ago. And one of them was Acid Storm. And, they, and now canonically Acid Storm is actually a character in this cartoon. I just like that, that kind of deep cut. I just love. Yeah, that's that's always nice. It's uh, and I think it's a it's a better name than what a lot of ca- previously canonical Transformers had. Oh god, yeah. Uh, so yeah, True. hooray for those fans. So for anyone that wanted to listen to us ramble for an hour, our, our pre-show ramble, this is what it sounds like. We're, we're doing pretty well, aren't we? We're nearly yeah. quarter of the we're way almost in. Half an hour. 
shall we see uh, how far this can go? We should probably actually get to the topic. We, we could we could just call this the ramble episode. <laughs> it was requested by more people than have actually suggested legitimate topics <laughs> for us to discuss. <laughs> it's true. It's true. That is, that is a fair assessment. Right, Eddie, well, what is the worst name Transformer? Oh my god, that is that is a huge, huge. So, not the worst name Transformer, uh, but the worst attack name. Uh, from so there was a cartoon uh, that uh, was called Car Robots. Uh, it got transformed into uh, <laughs> Robots in Disguise <laughs> uh, in two thousand one. Um, uh, Wait, which, it was called Car Robots. It was called Car Robots. That's a stupid thing. It, well, okay. in the original Japanese, it gets in, in, in the U.S. It oh, okay, Robots in Disguise. Okay, okay, okay. It's very it. on the nose, right? Um, mm. But um, uh, one of the characters, <laughs> the whole. I love this version of the show because it's so obviously a. a gap between uh beast wars and then the, the shows that came afterwards so they recycled toy molds and it's like half the characters are old beast wars characters never got screen time half of them are old like original transformers like one of them's obviously uh uh bruticus um but they call him devastator or something mm-hmm. uh but in the uh, every time he fired his big gun in the uh u.s cartoon it was just like ah you'll fire but of course in japanese cartoons they always have to say the name of their attack and the attack was called the Ball Buster. Excellent. Oh, no. <laughs> and I, I have like a screen it. cap of that, <laughs> <laughs> which I share occasionally as a meme where people who are like, you know, say something really horrible. I just post that Ball Buster. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, yeah. That, that's the worst name Transformer. That's the answer to my question. Uh, well, I mean, the problem is there's so <laughs> many candidates. Um, um, Dixie's in a grilling mood today. Mindwipe is not a great character name, although he does what he says. He's a giant bat it that does what it says on the tin. Yeah, right, and, and it does pitch people badly. Um, Rodimus is not a great the, name. Who's the bat that had the car wash plot? Um, that was oh, why am I blanking on it? Um, rat bat. My favorite rat bat. Rat bat. Rat bat. Um, who also is not a rat. He's just a bat, but you know, apparently rat bat. There um, was a black bat gobot uh, with a demonic cackle, and now I've got to remember her name. Uh, she had a pink face, and I don't know why I'm reciting this from memory because I don't think anyone. Uh, well, actually, if anyone knows gobots, it's probably Eddie. And um, and she would go. Like that, she would laugh in this really irritating way that it was like designed. They were trying to make her laugh like echolocation. Are you talking about Batbot? Possibly. She she Bat-bot? had an earthquake power. I know that. It, so she didn't just have this banshee laugh. She could also bring her foot down, uh, or axle, I guess, uh, down onto the ground, and it would create earthquakes. And she was an evil gobot. Um, so that's always getting a bad rap, man. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was uh, writing a little for legend lore and noticed bat people tend to be evil. Okay, oh. so I, I'm um I'm going now going through <laughs> TF Wiki, which is the best source for any Transformers information. Okay. Um. Uh. So I'm, I'm also gonna stay away from Japanese exclusive names because some of those can be just translation errors and, and yeah 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 oh totally um that said huffer is not a great name huffer huffer, mm. huffer. 
Uh, was this a Michael Bay created transfer? No, no, no. That that straight of Gen One. Um, just like uh, Windbreaker is also original car- character. Okay, yeah. So probably, probably just a jacket. I'm I'm prepared to look for the you know innocent <laughs> side. Um, uh, uh, in uh, the, the previously mentioned car robot slash robots in skies, there's a character named Gas Skunk. Gas Skunk. So Gas that's Stinkle Stinkle levels of <laughs> obvious. Side note: um, Gas Skunk heads to uh, Capatrice, whose names I, I immediately f- I forgot. Um, but uh, their attacks are literally left laser, right laser, and center laser. That's that's the name of their attacks. <laughs> I mean, that's straightforward. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. That's left, right, or straightforward. It's oh, right. very good, very good. Um, uh, but uh, the 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 probably the least creative name is a a a Autobot that's literally called Vroom. Yeah. Oh. That's, now, that's I I remember when uh, I first played Slay Industries, uh, which currently has a Kickstarter ongoing for an expansion book uh, for second edition. Uh, we yeah, we yeah. can talk about games, just not us. And. Um, <laughs> And there's a um, a type of creature you can play that's a sort of genetically engineered fighting creature. And right now, the name of it, right name of them, escapes me for some reason. And uh, they are essentially vat produced, conveyor belt, factory built, that kind of thing. And it's the job of the scientists that run this uh, this industry to name each one. And it actually talks about in the fiction how when they were first created the scientists were coming up with most epic dangerous sounding names Mm. so you had um slasher and destroyer uh devastator and the like and since then thousands have been produced but they still require a unique ident so now the scientists are just looking around the room curtain conveyor <laughs> little finger left uh, ring finger <laughs> hey um, little fingers from game of thrones that's true and he's an irritating character with uh, him, but... a side note but um that actually leads me to another transformers joke um because there oh. are due to due to weird production errors there oh, are two no. different characters named prowl um and one of them is like completely forgettable the other is a big iconic character the other one's like just no one remembers his other prowl uh but they had like him as a cameo he dies like off panel like yeah. But um they investigate afterwards, like what's his name? It's like Prowl. It's like, you mean Prowl? No, 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 no. Um he changed his name. Um and they're like, oh, what's the name now? It's like blip. You're like, blip? <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, all blip. the good names were taken. <laughs> <laughs> My cats are acting up again. Uh cats cat in the cradle and the silver the spoon. Little No. Mm. What? No. Little Bo cats Peep the and the man in the moon. Yes. Every now and then, Lydia gets very interested about one of the air conditioning vents in her place, and I'm always like, "Is there a, a creature in there?" And no, I don't think so. I think that she just wants to know what's going on in it. It's the unseen. So I, oh, I mentioned yes. I mentioned before we started recording that I've been watching Fargo, uh, the TV series, and one of my favorite scenes, which on one level is completely unbelievable, but is also one of the there's so much of Fargo that I feel fits well in any role playing game because of the combination of ludicrousness, darkness, and humor. And I think a lot of games have that because there's always a lot of humor. There's almost always a lot of humor at the table, no matter what you're playing, just because right. you're playing with people who are having fun. And the there's a scene in the beginning of the third season where 
a a man threatens the one of the lead couples in their apartment, makes his way down the stairs, and as he's making his way down the stairs to leave the apartment, the lady starts counting how long she thinks it will take for him to get downstairs, and as she's doing it, she's prying free the air conditioner um, that's in her window and asking her partner, can you see him outside yet? Can you see him outside yet? And when he says yes, they basically both kick the air conditioning unit, which falls down something like five floors, and smashes into his head so that he right. is no longer blackmailing them. And I thought, that is such a fantastic role-playing game scene that I'm going to have to use it. The, the idea yeah. that at this point... Um, this man is going to re- go back to his boss, whether you're playing vampire. This sheriff is going to go back to the prince and tell him where you are. Or uh, Trinity, you know, this person is literally blackmailing you for some counter-society. And uh, you've got a very limited amount of time to do something. You don't, you're not armed. So what have we got around the apartment? There's an air conditioning unit in the window. Make your role for technology plus cunning. Um, and, you know all of this and I was just it was all processing it in my head and uh, I very much recommend that series to anyone who is looking for some good ideas for TV show for TV shows for role playing games don't make a TV show based on Fargo there already is one it's called Fargo (laughs) Uh, but but yeah 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 it's it's very good very good Uh, but similar to like um, things that I've been watching in fiction that, like, kind of the contrary, like, uh, that are hard to emulate in hip-hop RPGs. Mm. Um, is, is I've, I've always had a fondness for um, shows where not everyone can trust each other completely. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like, Reservoir Dogs is probably an extreme example of it, but also just right. lots of crime drama where it's like, you're working together, but not everyone, someone can betray you at any time. And I've right. found that live action can emulate that pretty well, but tabletop games really can't. Um, and there's a Kickstarter recently uh, that has got me intrigued called Picaresque Roman, um, which is a translation of a Japanese uh, tabletop game. I like them tabletop games. Um, but the idea is it's a lot like Werewolf, the the deduction game. So where like someone in the group is scheming against the other pl- characters, but the players don't necessarily know who that person is. Mm. So it's kind of like um, uh, 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 Princess Gambit also, you know, to use one of our properties um and it's something that's interesting like princess gambit i've always felt for example is a really good emulation of vampire politics yeah but it's also vampire politics as we perceive it not vampire politics as it's actually played out at the table because usually there's still a very strong player versus non-player character dynamic right and so then you can see a game it's ostensibly a, a traditional or traditional ish tabletop game trying to emulate that not all player characters can be trusted thing it's just interesting that it's it's a weird kind of almost i won't say blind spot because very early tabletop games did go into that um but then it kind of fell out of the probably in the mid 80s and then now it's something it's um even games like fiasco still assume a certain amount of cohesion amongst the group yeah yeah you're trying to drive the plot to a certain conclusion um together to to make a satisfying story for everyone even if right. most most of you end up dead or in jail um exactly. uh, it's uh interesting you mentioned that i think because i've been advising on a role playing game supplement where the only uh, characters in it are player characters 
And my major issue with this kind of isolation, if you uh, to stick with the Tarantino theme, the Hateful Eight, uh, where mm-hmm. you've got a group of characters who are like in Reservoir Dogs, don't trust each other and are confined to a single location. And so it amazes me that they've not made some theatrical production of it, but I guess that would be up to Quentin Tarantino and uh, Miramax, I guess. But either way, or whoever it is that produced it. Um, the issue I've had and the advice I've given and the advice I give to any GMs listening, think, how about that? We're kind of on topic, but we can, don't worry, we can leave it again very quickly. <laughs> There's no topic here today. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, is that having a game that consists only of player characters is likely to not work out well. It can work out well uh, if you have the right combination of players, but that is such a uh, a chance in a million, I would say, because a lot of games these days, especially if you're running a one-shot, are perfect or are run at conventions or online for people you barely know uh, or have a, or you run them for a group that's conditioned to play a certain kind of game. And NPCs are very, very useful for driving the plot forward, for acting as obstacles, for needing help, for all the things NPCs are used for. But if you leave it entirely down to the PCs, it tends to... And a, a pecking order very quickly establishes itself, often mm-hmm. um, more down to player, uh, I guess agency, or not player agency, player dominance than character dominance. Right. Uh, so less, more inhibited players will often defer to the more confident players, even if the decisions they're making aren't necessarily the wisest ones. Right. Uh-huh. And you can end up being stuck in a bit of a plot quagmire because either people don't want to move forward or they move forward in a way that you're not anticipating completely off the mark, or players just are constantly looking around at each other wondering what they've got to do because the clues aren't being presented to them at neat intervals. Uh, so it's it's one of those things that I think works very well in a LARP environment, of course, because almost always all of the well, not almost always, m- a lot of the time, all the players in a LARP are indeed players. You may have NPCs, but you can run LARPs where it is just players. But tabletop games, I find when the GM can only act as environment and describe the clues that are around you. Um, can lead to a bit of stifled play, in my view. Well, I mean, th- that's interesting you bring it up because um, on the one hand, I think in live action games, or even to go a slightly broader approach, something like uh, murder mystery parties, mm. um, the idea is that a player is buying into the fact that I'm the villain yes. on some level. One or some players are accepting the role of antagonist and are willing to embrace that role, whereas the dynamics of a Typical tabletop game assume that everyone is the protagonist. Um, so that brings the question of like, right. can you do something like say 12 Angry Men as a tabletop game? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I could easily see a, a LARP. I think it's probably been LARPs. Sort of like, you know, you, you know, LARP, as a LARP, it's great. You're literally 12 people stuck in a room. Right. Um, minimal props. You could do the jury selection discussion. You could do that story very easily as a LARP. Does it make sense as a tabletop game? I'm sure there are going to be designs that can or have done that, but it's, again, so atypical of where the player characters are the entire cast. Uh, yeah. 
and as I say that, I realize there is kind of a exception. Um, there's a primetime adventures uh, where, uh, but the premise of that is you're not playing characters. You are playing a TV writer's room and then you portray the characters that you and the, the writing room had put together. Um, and huh. so that's a little more meta. And so that works because you're also switching between characters a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certain uh, 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 lead characters that you tend to portray, but if there's a scene coming up where some side characters or support characters come in, you pick up those roles ad hoc to, to fill out those scenes. So that's a slightly different approach, but it's the same kind of rough idea. Yeah, it works a lot better for those storytelling narrative games like Fiasco, like Forsooth. Forsooth is a very good game that not a lot of people have heard of uh, where you construct a play. Oh. And uh, it's based largely on Shakespeare, although you don't have to, you don't play out a Shakespeare play, you create a Shakespearean play. Okay. And each player takes on several roles, but those roles cannot be present on stage at the same time. So you'll never interact with yourself. Right. Um, but of course, if you leave a scene, you can come back as somebody else. And in that game, there isn't a GM. Uh, just like in Fiasco and Munchausen and all these other so it is it obviously is possible but from a traditional RPG perspective where let's say you have a mission to accomplish or a threat to overcome it's I find it a lot harder if there aren't speaking roles given to the GM as well yeah you have me thinking this like Ever since you mentioned 12 Angry Men, Eddie, all, all, all I can think is, like, where does the line between TTRPG and LARP happen in a purely narrative TTRPG? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. if you're all sitting down at a table <laughs> LARPing 12 Angry Men, you're technically also playing a TTRPG. Yeah, I what? guess in part it comes down to <laughs> dice, don't you think? Um, yeah. If, if it's all resolved through conversation, then yeah, you're absolutely right. I think it but, is a live action role. But like, play. there are a lot of RPGs now that are pretty narrative. Like, yeah, it's a true, big thing true. in the indie space, um, more more than in the like bigger company space. But there are a lot of games coming out that have very minimal resolution mechanics, uh, much much like LARPs do. You know? Yeah. Um. Like, I'm just, I'm skimming through some of my notes now. Um. I'm reminded of um executive decision. Um, okay. where you're basically playing the president's cabinet, but the game master is the president. Um, and so you're given a, a, a scenario where it's it's rapidly changing in real time. So you have an hour to advise the president before they go on television to make a statement. Hmm. Right. Um, and so the president is the one feeding... The president's the game master. He's feeding you information. You're making decisions. Um, so there's no dice resolution. But it's also not completely a LARP because the actual action you're shaping one character's action that that character's npc right um so you still have that kind of game master presenting the world to you dynamic which is interesting so like that's if it's dice if dice mechanics are the line then no it's a larp but in terms of the power dynamic of all the player characters are ostensibly working together i mean you get points if your cabinet position gets certain goals accomplished um but generally speaking you are more like collaborative working together to try to give the president the best advice you can um, so it's closer to a tabletop in that design. And there's also a uh, view scream, um, which is uh, an early game that I actually did focused on online play where everyone's right. like a, a net runner and you're all in like different zoom windows. Um, and the game master has their zoom window closed. 
Uh, so there is random resolution. Uh, so that's a little more on tabletop side, but in terms of how it plays out, the dynamics of it, it's basically a live action game. It just doesn't happen where everyone's physically in the same space. So there are lots of blurry lines, definitely. Yeah, like I don't, if if I recall correctly, like I don't think the Bluebeard's Bride, for instance, has a lot of dice rolling. No, um, I don't think it does, no. But it's it's not a LARP, technically. <laughs> Diplomacy is a technically a board game. Right, yeah, right, right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that that is, it's a board game at its simplest as well in mechanic. I mean, there's only two functions. There's no dice rolling. Uh, there's no, it is just, you can move a unit one space. Right. Or you can support a unit. That's pretty much it. Uh, I mean, the uh, no, that's not true. You can also, if you have a long line of fleets, you can convoy a unit. So basically make an army hop from one landmass to another if yeah. they're all contiguous. But um, but yeah, it's this is an interesting, unexpected discussion. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but... I think I think a lot of Jenna Moran's stuff is like that too. Like mm. There isn't a lot of dice rolling type stuff it's it's more narrative yeah um, i'm always also it's jenna moran so it's just interesting and all over the place in the best way <laughs> yeah i'm always impressed with what jenna moran comes out with i think uh one of my favorite uh, of jenna's games is glitch i think glitch i just is... heard you turn and check your bookshelf that was <laughs> fascinating i was just making sure i got the name right yeah glitch nobilis uh chubo's marvelous wish granting engine mm-hmm uh, are some of her games. They're all very, very interesting. And so, yeah, on the subject of LARP, I mean, I don't LARP a great deal. Uh, I've uh, had a mix of experiences with LARP, and I've I have some bad feelings toward live action role play or some of the communities yeah. that have participated in it. Same. N- nevertheless, uh, if I were to participate in a LARP again. That sort of twelve angry men, very free form. You have your character when you jump in. There are no mechanics. You just enter a room. That sort of single room style gameplay that requires little setup and just role play. Yeah, is is my ideal kind of LARP. I don't need the costuming. I don't need mechanics yeah. to resolve conflict. Uh, I am far happier essentially doing a long improv exercise. Yes. And, yeah, and and afterwards all having a drink at the right. bar, you know. Um, yep. uh, that that seems to be what almost my gaming experience has come down <laughs> to, isn't it? Just 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 playing for a while and then having a drink. That's um, one of my favorite LARP experiences. Actually, was at Midwinter a few years ago. Um, it was a uh, a Pentex meeting. Yeah, it was a Pentex corporate retreat. Yeah, I remember hearing about that. Um, and I went in thinking, oh, it's going to be a mind's eye theater sheet, but but it wasn't. It basically came down to you got like your your resume um and i think it, if i remember correctly it was like you got like a certain number of, of tickets that you basically cash ticket in and just say i i win this exchange right um so certain things you win uh and then you each had goals and other than that you just kind of make stuff up and it was a lot of fun because it got really weird super fast because again you all turn <laughs> tickets into the game master say i want this thing to happen Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, uh, at one point in time, there were reporters who were infiltrating the meeting and they were going to let the media out. And so we had to kill the reporters, but then like the police <laughs> were showing up and it turned out that someone else revealed that actually they were infiltrating from the FBI and it was just bonkers, but it was a load of yeah. fun because there wasn't a lot of 
rules, which it can and can't do. And it, it, that kind of almost parody of corporate culture resonated really well in a way that wouldn't make sense in a traditional World Darkness game. Yeah. But for the aesthetic that a lot of the Pentex material kind of funneled through, especially the earlier Pentex material, the game actually managed to nail because it was so light and freeform. Hmm. Yeah, uh, most of the LARPs I've played that I've super, super enjoyed have been like one shots at cons. Yeah. And usually they, they, they are the more freeform ones. Um, I think I talked about this on here before, but I played in one at Midwinter 2020. Sure. I don't Question know. Mark? Five, 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 five years <laughs> it would ago. Be, like 2020. Uh, it would be 2019, I think. No, it was 2020. Um, yeah. No, it was. It was the last con we went to before. Were we down. there in 2020? Yes, yes we were. That yeah. really was... does seem like. <laughs> it was pre pandemic. <laughs> wow. I had no idea the pandemic what hadn't been going on for longer. That was 2020 was the moment where we were all playing Mario Kart together. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Um, either way, I was in a, a, a alert there where. Everyone was divided into groups of five, and every group of five was the same five people from a different dimension. <laughs> um, so like a, a like a like different multiverse version of the same people, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of like a we were figuring out what was going on. We were doing like little puzzles and stuff. But B, we were also building our worlds during that time, just through, yeah. through improv. And at the end of it, we had to decide it, like. Everyone had to decide which world they wanted to return to, but only one version of any person could return to any one world. So if, like, two of you wanted to switch because of, like, I don't know, gender politics in your dimension or whatever, you could do that. And it was really, really, really fun. Um, Mostly because my group was made of people who don't take anything very seriously. Uh, So (laughs) our world was pretty great, actually. But uh, we... We all got to define things like the national anthem being a queen song, you know, just <laughs> random shit like that. Nice. It <laughs> nice. was fun. It was fun. Uh, my favorite LARP, and I know I have mentioned it on here before, but it's probably been a hundred episodes since I last did, was the prison, uh, which is a fairly yeah. intense LARP by for, for a lot of people, I think, where the setup is that all of the players are inmates. Uh, you are put in a bracket, depending on the severity of your crime. You're given a short profile to tell you what your crime was, although it's up to you whether you share it, whether you tell people the truth about who you are and why you're there. All other people know is the bracket you are in. And the uh, narrator, GM, director, what have you, is watching you on a camera uh, from outside. has microphones around the room and a camera or cameras in the room. And periodically throughout the game... Roughly like 10 minute periods or so, although it speeds up as the game goes on. Uh, you are expected to nominate one person from the prison group to be taken out and executed. And um, it was a game that I, I can absolutely understand why some people struggled with it, with bleed afterwards. Uh, one of the moments in it that was most uh, stunning to me was at one point, because there was only one person running the game, and he was a, he was a big-ish guy, but it, he wasn't like a muscle-bound freak or anything. Uh, he wasn't Hulk Hogan. And freak. Yeah, I was, you know, I, for some reason I had Lex Luger, <laughs> Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior in my head there, went back to the early 90s WWF, but uh, excuse me. If this is the person I think it is, he's actually 
really quite strong, but you're right. He's not that same kind of mm. massive um, So either way, uh, we started talking to each other, of course, and we were doing it quietly because we knew there were microphones in the, in the room. And there were still quite a few of us left at this point where we said, well, we're going to have to nominate someone because we'd already tried the not nominating anyone and it resulted in someone being, I think two people being executed in the room. And uh, all credits to the players involved, you know, they they played it up and then they left. And um, <clears throat> but they were still involved outside. We didn't know that. But anyway, uh, <laughs> we started conspiring as to who we would nominate next. But also, when the guard came in to seize them, we would all jump the guard, and we would make our own escape because we had no idea when this was going. We were told this was going to run until dawn and anyone left alive would be released. But we had no reason to believe this, given that the guard had already broken his rules several times before. Mm -hmm. And so we nominated the biggest uh, fellow in our group, a street fighter, uh, who was in the lowest possible bracket for all the violence that he had perpetrated. And... uh, when the guard came in to get the street fighter, the street fighter was going to tackle him. And then we were going to get the guard and disarm him and basically uh, take our freedom. So sure enough, the guard comes in, the street fighter's nominated, the street fighter approaches him, successfully tackles the guard to the ground. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we, as players, did nothing. We just sort of backed away and formed a circle in that awkward, well, which one of us is going to move? Uh, mm-hmm. Which what, Who is going to actually endanger ourselves here? And there was a lot of, uh, I guess, player uh, decision-making here rather than character decision-making. You could tell right. at that point there was a lot of subconscious survival attitude going on and not just yeah conscious decision-making which was the first time I've ever experienced that in a lot because I felt it too. Mm-hmm. And uh, sure enough, the street fighter was wrestling around with him on the ground for a while. It was a full contact lap. And um, then the guard pulled a card out of his pocket that said pepper spray, held it up. And the street fighter uh, pretended to have been pepper sprayed and was then dragged out of the room by the ankle while we just stood there and did absolutely nothing. And from that point on, in that LARP, the attitude in the room completely changed for all of the players and all of our characters, because we realized we were signing up to this game at both levels, that no one was prepared to sacrifice themselves for these other people we didn't know, and for an uncertain future. We may have run out there and got gunned down, you know, we didn't know, we were making all kinds of excuses for why we didn't step up when we were needed to. And yeah, uh, I can I can still look back on that and think that was a fantastic experience. But I also know that there were players that came out of that really shook, shaken mm. by the by that particular moment and some moments that took place after when people were really getting paranoid about who was voting for who to be eliminated. Right. So. I would still love to play games like that again, but but the risk is always finding the right group and yep, knowing right. that you're not harming anyone by running such serious, potentially horrific subject matter 
uh, warnings you know that should indeed be in place and were in place turned out to only go so far because when yeah. you experience it it's different than just signing up for it beforehand yeah i mean that's, that's that's the thing it's like there's a big difference in my opinion between a content or trigger warning for like a movie i am passively enjoying mm. versus something that is being acted out against me yes. like i am uh for a while i thought i would enjoy some of the you know magic school type larps because i used to be a harry potter fan um before jk rowling did her shit and then i realized that a lot of them included bullying and we're okay with that because it's mm. a high school thing. And I'm like, oh, no, I was bullied in high school. I can't be bullied now. I am 36 years old. Yeah, I don't need that anxiety again. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and that's something I know. Um, uh, I have a number of colleagues who are narrative designers and writers in the video game space. And something that they constantly struggle with to talk with their teams about is that the kinds of things you can do in non-interactive media – you can't do all of those in the same way in interactive media. I mean, it's not, it's not impossible, but much more care needs to be taken because you're right. Even if it's the most casual video game, you're still the act of interactivity changes the flavor of it. It's not just something happening passively to somebody else. Something's happening to you on some level mm -hmm. and you need to be aware of and respectful of that and do that uh, intelligently and, and carefully. Um, so horror games have always kind of struggled with this because um, you can't do the same things in a horror game that you could do in a horror film. Uh, you can get close, and especially if you everyone's very clear and communicative and, and, and respectful to each other. But you know, just, just some of the stuff is just traumatic when it happens to you. It's, it's, or, or even to Matthew's point, even watching somebody else go through it. Uh, and knowing that you have even a small amount of chance to stop it can be a huge concern. And that changes it from just watching a movie because like, I know I can't interact. I change what happened in the movie. It's, it's, it's already done. That you know, It's already been decided. So I have no chance to, to change that. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, it's, it's interesting. I've been uh, guilty of that as a storyteller. I mean, I'm not proud of it. Uh, and at the time I was that I ran, I know I've mentioned before, I ran a very successful trilogy of games of Hunter the Vigil across three different years at UK Games Expo. Right. And the antagonist in the first of those uh, stories was based very strongly on a character from a James Herbert uh, horror novel. Uh, James Herbert, very much one of the inspirations behind Garth Marenghi. So I love oh, James right. Herbert novels, okay. but they are of a certain type. And uh, the this character's method of killing people was grotesque. It was vulgar, it was puerile, it was just grotesque. I won't go into the details, uh, but I recorded a video recap of it for my YouTube channel, um, which during one of my many years of pruning the channel, has made it disappear. Uh, but I remember at the time the players' reactions when they discovered what this antagonist had been doing to their victims and being thanked and congratulated afterwards because I had gone through trigger warnings. I had gone through um, safety guidelines. I had explained the kinds of things that would come up, but still the subject matter was horrifying. So when they got to that point quite near the end of the uh, game, I guess the, the warnings at the beginning had faded sufficiently that it still came as a bit of a shock. Mm-hmm. 
And I remember afterwards thinking, that's the best game I ever ran. That, that's one of the best experiences I've ever had as a storyteller. I really shocked them. I really scared them. I right. grossed them out. Because yeah. it it did work. They did enjoy it. I But the thing that I only came to realise later on in life was I was lucky. I was very lucky that right. at that time I had a group that wanted that particular strain of horror. Mm-hmm. Because yep. I could have so seriously fucked everything up and was too immature to realize that at the time uh, that I I was going too far with these things. And it's something that certainly uh, colors the way I present horror now. Um, you know, certain boundaries I n- never cross, even when I'm writing something like Cult, Divinity Lost. Uh, which is known for being, um, in some cases, yeah, transgressive. Uh, I there are still some things that I won't describe. Uh, certainly not in the way that I did when I was running those hunter games, because there was no need for it. You can achieve the same a feeling of suspense and horror without the risk <laughs> of uh, of just being disgusting and disrespectful. Yep. Right. Um. Oh, sorry, um, uh, there's a certain Twitter discussion that happened recently. I'm not going to go into the detail of it, but but the side kind of discussion that came out of that was the idea that because you're being respectful, there's no place for challenging media anymore. And I completely disagree with that assertion. That so-called yeah. unquote, yeah. woke games can't be interesting or, or compelling or challenging anymore that really hmm. gets to me like as as a person who very much enjoys challenging media like that's mm-hmm. most of what i watch is is drama and horror and stuff yeah uh, it is really really frustrating when somebody insinuates that anybody who enjoys those things is a uh, not not great person mm-hmm. and um uh, uh it reminds me uh, of a different discourse uh but around um a game called uh, uh Boyfriend, boyfriend dungeon, dungeon boyfriend. One of those yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, uh, but I mean, there are games that are scary and compelling and challenging. Um, uh, like Blue Beard's uh, Bright. Yeah, uh, or Doki Doki Literature Club. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, it's a great game. It it's um it. I'm not going to do this big spoil of Doki Doki Literature Club. I, I genuinely think people should play it if if they follow the content warnings that are very clearly posted on, yes. on both the game and the, mm-hmm. the, the page site. Um, but if you're into that, it's it's very compelling stuff. And and that, I think it's the big thing is like if you're into that, if you're opting into challenging media, if you know going in it's going to be something that challenges you and pushes you and makes you uncomfortable, yep. but you do that in a knowing, controlled way, that is no different than if you go into a movie expecting an action film and getting a horror film, whatever, I mean, that people get uncomfortable in a bad way in those right. kinds of situations. Um, uh, it reminds me of when the Battlestar Galactica reboot happened in 2009. There was a lot of, of gnashing of teeth because uh, uh, the company, I believe it was NBC, was the network at the time airing it, um, kept pushing it as a drama and refused to word, use the word science fiction because they felt that the word science fiction was loaded. Yeah. But what happened was a lot of people coming in um, for some reason, missed the Battlestar part of it, uh, uh, <laughs> and the galactic 
name in it. Um, but so like, I was like, oh, this is this is science fiction crap. And then they, they, they didn't get the show they thought they were going to get and, and bounced off it and became a negative trend. Um, so the idea that there's this binary of either the game is safe and boring or edgy and interesting is 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 not only completely false but also i think actively damaging yeah um that that we should be doing challenging media you know there can be games like harlem unbound that directly talks about racism and 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 really puts racism front and center we need games and media like that that explore and uh, uh, dig into those topics but we can't do it willy-nilly we can't do it like matthew said where you just kind of like pop it at the end and sh- and shock everybody with it. People have to kind of know going in, these are things that are on the table. These are things that that we know we're going into and make sure everyone's completely safe with it. Then you can do compelling and interesting things, but it's no different on some level than saying, you know, I want challenging media and you get boring, bland, safe stuff. It's like, you know, right. it, it, I'm expecting that, that, that that's gritty and interesting and has some depth to it. And I'm not getting that. So, I mean, I, I feel like as long as you know what doing, like, I don't expect people to play Pugmire expecting to get deep, meaningful truths out of it. But the game doesn't market itself as that. It's there if you want to uncover it, but it's not the core goal of the game. The game is mm. to be fun, action-adventure kind of fantasy. But if I'm playing Vampire the Masquerade, you know, I know that there might be some horror there. It's a game of personal horror. It's always been marketed as such. And it can choose not to be that, but if we talk about it, we're going to dig into this and what we're going to dig into and how we're going to explore it, that can be really fun. And I've had some really great sessions of games like Vampire the Masquerade where we've really dug into that and I've learned a lot about myself and about my friends and I even, I think, gotten some th- uh, catharsis if not therapy out of it i want I, I hesitate to say therapeutic value because that's a whole separate area of discussion but certainly i felt like i i I've, I've felt better about myself as a result of those games there's still room for those there's still space for those you just don't have to be an asshole about it and i'm also, so tired of that sometimes people use you know that challenging media to explore parts of themselves that they're not ready to open up about yet yeah like yeah. almost every almost everyone i know who is you know queer or trans who works in ttrpgs it's like yeah i played a lot of you know ex-gender characters before i came out yeah it's like yeah because you were that's that's how they were exploring it sometimes even without realizing it there are folks who talk about like in you know high school they were doing this before they even knew what being transgender was right um and that's that's also important and it's important to be able to challenge those things. And part of the reason why I like games like Changeling the Lost so much is because it is very much about confronting trauma and found family and things like that. And if you opt into that, great. That's what you're opting into, you know? And that's that's an interesting thing to explore if if you want to explore it. It's uh, That's largely the reason I'm so drawn to Wraith the Oblivion. Uh, similarly, I've, uh, for most of my life, been very fascinated by the concepts, I guess, of mortality. And not necessarily afterlife, because I, I'm not a I'm not a religious person, uh, but I am very interested in the way people cope with things like grief, and how people overcome, uh, in some cases, traumas and settle hashes, I guess. Right. And uh, Wraith was always fascinating to me in that regard and it's why i but one of the reasons i love running it and it's why it's one of the games i run with almost such kid gloves because Mm -hmm. i know that when i run wraith i tend to explore very personal 
subjects. Mm. And almost everyone in the world, uh, when they reach a certain age, has experienced the death of a loved one. Uh, you know, usually when they're 20 or so, by the time they're 20, someone they know has died. And so you can bring up an awful lot of old uh, feelings, baggage, call it what you like, just by running Wraith and talking about um, your character's feeling as they're slipping away. And they are, you know, and they're no longer to reach out, able to reach out to someone and tell them they love them anymore. Something as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, like you say, won't use the word therapeutic because uh, we we already have friends at the Bodhana group that uh, deal with that on a much more professional yeah. level than we. Yeah, we are but, not therapists. <laughs> no, but uh, in terms of catharsis, working through issues, or making you realize things that you never even realized were an issue uh, before you encountered them in a game. There, there are some games that are incredibly well suited to that. Uh, not always by intent. You know, you don't you don't run Wraith or Changeling because you want to traumatize your players, but it just so happens that people who play these games often take a lot more out of them than they do playing something which is more and I'm unashamed to say so, something more flippant, like they came from beneath the sea. Uh, that's it isn't a game that's supposed to provoke great introspection. Um, right. But I mean, it's somewhere like, um, I didn't realize for a very long time, for many years, that part of the reason why I gravitated to Vampire was because I was subconsciously struggling with my family's alcoholism problem and putting myself in position as someone who needed something to drink to survive and the horrible things you would do to accomplish it helped me to get into the mindset of some of the problems that my alcoholic family had to deal with on some mm-hmm. level. Um, and again, I didn't go in intending that revelation. I didn't realize it so long after I really stopped playing Vampire the Masquerade. Right. It was something that I, I was like, oh, I'm okay with this now. And then I kind of put the piece together. Oh, that's why I did that. And that kind of came out more when I started designing in that space. Um, but all of this stuff about challenging media aside, I mean, it doesn't change the fact that non-challenging media is also really important. I mean, it goes yeah. back to, we're talking about, um, about representation, like, you know, seeing yourself in media, seeing yourself in non-challenging media is also interesting. Like I've, um, I've had a couple of, of friends I've talked to who are like, you know, it's great that we see ourselves in these serious dramas as people of color, where we talk about the racism of being serious. Color. Like, why can't we be like the lead in a shitty sea run sci-fi show <laughs> yeah yeah that's a there is a couple of comedians that i've heard talk about that that specific thing where like first it's just nice to you know be a person of color in this thing even if you're always playing the criminal or whatever mm-hmm. and then it's nice to be you know the protagonist but you're still a person of color and then at some point it's nice to just be dave right you know like like that's 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 the the ultimate step is what this this comedian said is when you can just be the friend dave and your Mm. your race never comes into it Mm um and yeah that's 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 important so i mean it's (laughs) for people who are wondering this is often our pre-recording conversation and we start off with just weird random stuff and we end up on some really interesting stuff and then usually it's the we should record that Yeah, yeah it really well, is, it I'm really glad is. we went for the ramble chat. Uh, something, something I don't talk about a lot. I know we'll have to wrap up soon. Um, I don't know if I've ever mentioned it on here. Is I do um, periods of uh, suicide counselling. Uh, I, I counsel other people, 
and it's conducted online. It uh, used to be conducted over Skype, but there are more advanced methods now uh, that retain anonymity between the person calling and me. And it tends to be done internationally. So most of my uh, clients are American. Hmm. And Is this like a suicide hotline type thing? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. uh, it, when I started it, and the one I work with most is based around universities. Uh, because I got into this when I was studying health and social care, and it was recommended that you uh, volunteer in some kind of counselling or care capacity. And I was very interested in mental health, especially mental health of young people. And so I ended up working uh, for this uh, suicide counselling line that uh, deals with a select few um, American universities. And it's not... It, it sounds, it may sound flip to say, uh, but I can point at role-playing games like Wraith and, and Geist, uh, and the experiences I've had with them and the experiences players have had in those games, the stories they have told, and lessons I have learned from those stories to help me in speaking to and listening to people who are calling in with their problems. The same as by watching shows like Six Feet Under or The Leftovers or even The Good Place uh, can help me with these things. Uh, I And I, I do consider Wraith the Oblivion a challenging media. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, and, uh, and, you know, I consider the TV show The Leftovers a challenging media mm-hmm. because these things handle a subject that, people aren't necessarily comfortable approaching you know death is the eternal thing that no one ever wants to talk about but is always there have you seen the haunting of bly manor i have not that is a uh, great exploration of this topic uh well i speaking will, of challenging media i yeah, love that show but I, I will definitely check it out uh but i i want to agree with the two of you so much that when i see people saying that, Hans, to be fair, there was an awful lot more rebuttal than there was protest in the first place. But when I see people saying that you can't make games with believable antagonists or sadistic antagonists or you can't um, tell stories that leave the protagonist feeling depressed at the end of it because you are then responsible for that person's feelings and how they handle it and that sort of thing. I think that it's it is not it's not just harmful to art. It, it is harmful to the people who need to engage with that kind of thing to help themselves with whatever problems they have. Mm-hmm. that may be so subtle that they don't even realize it's a problem yet. Mm-hmm. That by engaging with this media, it will help them realize that they have an issue in the first place. And so, um, you know, I'm all in favor of challenging media. I love writing the lighthearted stuff, but I think the challenging media is utterly necessary, not just for the people who need the help, but also for the people who give the help. Yeah. I do want to caution uh, just something that I have, you know, heard some of my especially LARP friends talk about, and that is that don't bring your problems to the table to work through them without no, other no. people no, no. buying into that. Mm-hmm. I just, I just feel like I like need to say that. Like, no, I'm are, glad you there, did. There are people who try to bring their trauma to like LARPs, 
so that they can act it out somehow. And like, sometimes all you're doing is just spreading that pain to everybody around you mm-hmm. and not actually getting anything out of it. Right. Um, so don't do that without explicit buy-in from everyone you're playing with. If yeah. you want to work through something and you go to your group and you say, hey, I would like to play this thing because I'm trying to work through something. How do you feel about that? And everybody is on board. Great. Do it. That's mm-hmm. fine. But like explicit buy-in. Yeah. Or professional therapeutic assistance in such a exploration. Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I recommend, obviously, first. Right. But, you know. But yeah, don't don't. Yeah, I mean, we we talk about uh, catharsis and whatnot, but I mean, you're right. It's don't go cool. I'm gonna roll up to this they came from beyond the grave game and figure out where my life is at, and that's mm-hmm. gonna help me solve my problems. It, it, you know, don't. I mean, yeah, de- definitely. Like you said, uh, um, again, it's back to communication. Make sure everyone's on board, everyone's comfortable, everyone's safe. That includes people who aren't necessarily wanting something deeper out of this. There's some people who just want to be scared. They just want the fun of being scared, and that's okay too. You know, yep. it doesn't have to be deep and meaningful. Yeah. I mean, Matthew has talked very eloquently about um, uh, his experience with Wraith the Oblivion. And I played in one of Matthew's Wraith games, and it was just a, for me, it was just a fun, creepy, poignant, dramatic exploration of, of high school. Um, and it was, right. there was a lot of depth and texture there. And I don't want to go into details of it because there was a lot of very dark stuff that happens in it. But, also because we're so far over time already. <laughs> well, right. But, um, but, but, but I just want to say is like, you know, sometimes it can just be, challenging media can just be the fun of being challenged and that's it. That's all you need out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's where I get with most of the stuff that I enjoy personally. Like I, I watch American Horror Story. I watch American Horror Stories. I watch a uh, Handmaid's Tale. I watch Honey and Bly Manor. I watch, uh, I've been watching Inside Number Nine. I watched Black Mirror. Um, I enjoy challenging media clearly, uh, but I don't often go into it to get something out of it. Aside from just, I like creepy things and I like twists and stories and I like suspense. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm there for. Well, that said, I'm glad we did a ramble because people were requesting it. And we talked about our games, actually, more than I thought we were going to, <laughs> which is great. So so, so to summarize, when we want to talk about our games, we don't, but we eventually do. When we don't want to talk about our games, we don't, but we eventually do. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you just need to cut off the first 30 minutes of this episode and we're golden. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had got my cat from Transformers. It was very important. And He-Man and she Windbreaker. Wind yeah. That's Fi- we didn't even talk about Fisto and Ram Man. <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> I don't think we need to. No. <laughs> that is that is too challenging a topic for me. Um, <laughs> Eddie, if people want to talk to you about Transformers, although not your work on the Transformers RPG, because that's under NDA, yes. where can they find you? <laughs> um, honestly, if you want to talk to me about Transformers, just hit me up on Twitter. I will be happy to talk to you about it on Pug, at Pugsteady. Um, but if you want to find out more of my professional work, you can find that on Pugsteady.com, or you could just come and talk about either of those topics with us on the Discord on the The Onyx Pathcast channel. And Matthew? Uh, they can find me on Discord, of course, on the Onyx Pathcast channel. They can find me on Twitter at DawkinsMP, where I'm currently making a bit of a streak of Fraser Crane in Bioshock's Rapture. I've been noticing that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I find uh, the f- dialogue for Fraser is very easy to write. I don't know why. Um, I, I don't think I've got anything in common with Kelsey Grammer. You're inner Bostonian. God. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but yes, you can find me on Twitter at DawkinsMP, and uh, you can find me on MatthewDawkins.com. 
You can find me in most places at Dixie Cyanide if you want to talk to me about any of the subjects that we talked about today. Or just geek out about challenging media because that's fun for me too. Uh, you can find us everywhere at The Onyx Path, theonyxpath.com. And as always, many worlds, one map.